Hello, and welcome to another TRADOC Leader Professional Development Discussion. I'm Sarah Houck, Command Information Chief for the TRADOC Communication Directorate, and the moderator for today's event, where we're going to discuss how to transform an organization. We're keeping the sports theme going this episode with our guests, who we'll introduce in just a second. First, I want to welcome back General Paul E. Funk II, <laughs> TRADOC's Commanding General. Uh, thank you, sir, for uh, joining us. It's always great to have you for these LPDs. Well, thanks for having me, Sarah. I really do appreciate it. And I'm so looking forward to today's guest because she's just dynamite. Absolutely. Thank you, sir, for joining us. And as I mentioned earlier, we'll be discussing organizational transformation. Our guest today is Sint Marshall, the CEO of Dallas Mavericks and the CEO of Marshalling Resources Consulting. In 2018, Ms. Marshall became the first African-American woman CEO in the NBA. During her first 100 days, she was able to drastically change the organizational culture, particularly in the areas of diversity and inclusion. Prior to becoming the Maverick CEO, Ms. Marshall founded Marshalling Resources, a consulting firm specializing in leadership, diversity and inclusion, cultural transformation, and overall optimization of people resources. Prior to shifting to her recent positions, Ms. Marshall spent more than 36 years at AT&T, where she led several teams to diversity and inclusion success. Ms. Marshall continues to be a trailblazer in leadership and has won numerous awards for her diversity, equity, and inclusion initi initiatives. Ms. Marshall, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me here today. It's good to see you, Sarah, and it's so good to be here with my friend, General Funk. We, we, we promised that we would get back together and that we would talk about this topic, and so I'm glad we were finally able to make it happen. So uh, it's good to see both of you. Great to see you, Sint. <laughs> Thank you so much, ma'am, for joining us. And the Army has been focusing on changing its culture to better align the force as a profession ready to compete and win in multi-domain operations with a focus on its people. Today, we're going to dive into how organizations can fully change and sustain success with these transformations. As a reminder, before we get started, we want you to be part of this discussion. So leave your questions in the comments section, and we'll try to get them answered during this event. And with that, we're going to go ahead and get started. Ms. Marshall, we're going to come to you. So you were able to completely reinvigorate the Mavericks culture, particularly in the areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, and as a leader and as an organization as a whole. So how do you start making those huge changes to an organization when you're brand new to it? Oh, I, I love that question. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's a huge change. I really think, I think there is a recipe, okay? And so uh, I'll try to kind of hit different pieces of that, uh, it, different ingredients as we kind of progress through this. Uh, but I think it actually starts with a vision. Um, and so of course, and that vision, you know, kind of comes from the top, the tone is set at the top. And so when I got to the Mavs, um, of course, you know, we know that, you know, we, they were having some struggles around just the workplace culture and, and more than struggles. I mean, we, 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 some of us know the story about how, you know, how I got there with the Sports Illustrated article and what was said about the Mavericks and some of the things that were going on there. And so I came in and laid out a vision and the vision said we would set the global standard. So the global standard um, in the NBA for diversity, equity, and or diversity and inclusion. And so we added the equity piece later. And the reason I started there, I didn't start with revenue. I didn't start with, you know, ticket sales or uh, a championship. I didn't start with anything, quote unquote, basketball related. Uh, the reason I chose diversity and inclusion is because it drives everything. 
And there is a business case, a true business case. I mean, McKinsey has done studies on it. Others have done studies on it. There's a true uh, business case, and it talks about the diversity dividend and how your business is better, how you can win the war for talent, how you can respond better to customers and get more insight, how you can uh, engage your employees more and the level of employee satisfaction, uh, innovation. So many things point to what happens when you have the right culture and when you have a diverse workplace, when you have an inclusive culture, which is so in the diversity piece, and when is operating in the workplace throughout your processes uh, and all of that. So I figured if we started there, if we started by trying to create an inclusive culture, if we started there and then there's a whole kind of spectrum to that we'll get into, that we would be successful as a business. And then I laid out a set of values and we took that vision, the set of values, one-on-ones with all the employees, really engaging them because it's all about the people. And we laid out a 100-day plan that I know we'll talk about. Um, and that that's that's kind of where I started. And, you know, so far, so good. It's been four and a half years now. <laughs> yeah, oh, that that's uh, quite the feat. And obviously, people are responding to it. And I think that's one of the biggest things with transformational, um, just organizational transformations is how do you get buy-in from those individuals? I know um, within the Army and specifically within TRADOC, we are focused on changing our culture, but that includes sharing it outside of our walls so that people know what we stand yeah, for. So right. how do you, General Funk, I'll go to you first. So how do we share that culture and make sure that it's practiced and seen and heard within us and then share it outwardly so that people know who we are and what we stand for. Well, it, it, the, it, what is a tremendous uh, point is that we have to be able to share it outside, right? We have to be able to open the, open the window that is the Army, open our camps, posts, and stations, and reconnect America to its Army. We also have to, but they have to, our, our values have to resonate with the young men and women who are getting ready to serve. And they have to, have to be, um, representative of the American people. And so our, the, Ar the Army's values are America's values. That's, that's what we stand for. And uh, to, to, in order to be able to do that, you have to have some sort of program like Sint just described, where you come in with some vision, and then from the vision you actually build culture, and you, and, and you include more and more people, and then pretty soon your narrative's coming back to you. And it's a narrative of success and opportunity and finding a way to overachieve all kinds of various um, struggles, but understanding and recognizing that the reason we serve is to fight and win our nation's wars, and we are the representatives of the American people around the globe. That's, frankly, that's what we, we have to be able to do. Absolutely, and I know we've put a huge emphasis, or, and you've encouraged the enterprise to put an emphasis on getting out into their communities yes. to share those cultures. Yeah. And I know it, this is, changing a culture takes time. So um, to be able to take those pieces of our culture that it, we've changed and improved and reformed and take them outside yeah. the gates is really, really positive. So One of the things that uh, hit on that is even more, it's a, it's a winning culture too. Right, so they have, the the Mavericks have developed a winning culture as well, and and that's what the Army does, right? The chief chief staff of the Army says winning matters, yeah. you know, and and that it does, and they, but in order to do it, winning in the right ways, is exactly the kind of culture you're trying to achieve, and so are we. Exactly, you win. 
you win because you are playing on a solid, uh, you're standing on a solid foundation when you're playing. And, and, that's, and that's what our values are. It's, it's, it's that foundation uh, for us. And, and our values spell crafts. And so we have this hashtag, hashtag perfect our crafts, because we're trying to do that every day. And, the, and craft spells for character, uh, stands for character, respect, authenticity, fairness, teamwork, and safety. And if, if I get time, please remind me to come back and tell you the story that I shared with our team about uh, character to just make it real uh, for our people. Uh, and so what, what I love is, and you talked about, General, how it comes back to you. I love when I hear, hear our folks now talking about our crafts and calling it out with each other. And uh, like safety is one of our uh, values and it's physical and emotional safety. And so that one is pointed to a lot or authenticity where we want people to really be themselves and to know who they are. And we want to accept them and meet them uh, kind of where they are. I mean, that person who gets up out of bed in the morning, the, the background they have, the cultures they have, the, the issues they have. I mean, we want all of that to walk into our doors and to be welcomed in our doors. Now, maybe we don't want you in your pajamas. Maybe we want you to like, you know, like put on your, you know, dress up to come in. Right. But, but we want that person and we, as leaders, we have to be able to uh, meet that person uh, where they are. We want the teamwork. We want people to feel respected and to uh, give respect. But at the top of it uh, is character. And we want that integrity displayed every single day. And so we want we, we want to be known by those crafts. And so we talk about those externally a lot. Those are our values that we stand on, on and off the court. What's great about what you just said are, are your values are our values. So loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. Y'all, if you look at it, that's leadership, right? L-D-R-S-H-I-P. That's exactly what we're trying to do. And that's what we, that starts day one from turning a citizen into a soldier. That's the, the, that's the kind of culture, that's the kind of ethic, that's the kind of value that we bring to this to the equation. Yes, and you accept them because I, I fortunately for me, I have family members and others who uh, were in the army uh, and God bless everybody who is serving us. I mean, all of you. And so I have truly seen that where you take them and accept them for who they are. You meet them where they are when they walk in and then you stand them on this foundation. And I've been a recipient of what comes out uh, on the other end. But it started with accepting uh, who they were and giving them that foundation and then teaching them that they're leaders, too. I mean, we're all leaders. I mean, I've seen that up, up close and, and personal. So maybe somewhere deep down inside when I developed these values, I, I was thinking about you. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so. That, I, that would make me feel good, to tell you the truth. I, I wanted to kind of talk about that foundation both of you have mentioned in our values so we kind of call them here in the army are non-negotiables absolutely yeah. cannot change they must be um, something that our newest individual has to have within them or begin working on individually to become that so what would the mavericks non-negotiables be and how do you as you're changing a culture to be more positive and successful how do you be sure that those non-negotiables don't change but then adjust them to meet your high standards of transformation. Okay, so I love that question. So here, here's what I did when I got to the MAPS. I met with every single employee one-on-one, -on -one, which is very easy 
to do because we were talking at that time probably about 120, 140 people. We're not talking like tens of thousands like an army. But I would, and, and when I worked at AT&T and was responsible for tens of thousands of people, of course, I couldn't talk to all of them. But I'd always try to pick like 100 people or so, and in this case, a little more than that. And I met with them one-on-one -on -one, uh, for, for a few purposes. Um, I just wanted to get to know them uh, as people. Uh, because they're they're not employees. They, they, these are the people who just so happen to be employees. So I want to get to know them as people. And I would start out the same way. I would say, uh, give me your story. Give me your whole life story. And usually they'd say, this is my 10th season at the Mavs. This is my third season at the Mavs. And I said, were you born here? Like, I want your whole story. I want to know who I'm sitting here talking to because my job is to serve. I mean, just like General Funk. I mean, our job, I mean, our jobs are service jobs all of us. And so I'm here to serve these people. So I need to know who they are. So they tell me their story. Then we talk about what was going on at the Mavs. Then I would close the same way. And I would say, give me, give, tell, think five years from now, which it's interesting because I'm, we're almost at the five-year mark. I said, tell me where you see yourself five years from now, whether it's at the Mavs or not, just where do you see yourself personally and professionally? Because part of my job also is to make sure that you're able to get there. And so when I took, after I interviewed, I mean, talked to all these people and, and then what I would do in those meetings, I would personally cover our values. And I know you all have all kinds of sessions where you sit down with the folks and talk about the non-negotiables. And I would personally talk about the non-negotiables. And we had a code of conduct that we put in place and it's called the code of conduct. We do the annual training on it every year. We, we point to it all the time. It's written. I, I know you have it too. And we tell them integrity matters. Okay, we, we we have zero tolerance for for lies, for false allegations, for I mean, obviously, uh, sexual harassment, misconduct, inappropriate behavior, anything like that. We absolutely play team. Uh, it, it, if you don't play team, you you probably won't be uh, working here. Safety is important to us. We are all responsible. I mean, we have this little thing that we put out that describes all of our values, and the question is, who's responsible for safety? all of us and then we go deep what that looks like and and we talk consequences if we don't see those kinds of behaviors we cover it in our performance uh review uh process and so when you look at our values these are the things in there that are also in our code of conduct and they are non-negotiables this is how we operate this is who we are this is how we do business and we are free to speak up i mean speak up is a is a big part of our culture have a speak up culture and to have it where people do not have to fear retaliation. And so we've talked about that. If we, if, if we see someone trying to retaliate against an employee for speaking up, we deal with that. I mean, some things are just non-negotiable and they're all around uh, our values. Especially, obviously, when I got there, our whole 100-day plan was around modeling zero tolerance. So making it real clear what we stood for, what we would not tolerate, what we absolutely had zero tolerance for. We wouldn't say it wouldn't happen because things happen but we won't tolerate it uh, when it happens. And then we had us express Mavs women's agenda because we went, really wanted to send a message we had to, that women get to thrive and be successful and be in leadership around here too. Uh, and we know it's a you know male dominated environment in sports in, in, in the NBA. I mean, obviously we have the WNBA. And so, but we want to make it clear that this was a place where women could thrive and excel uh, too. And anyone who didn't want to accept that wouldn't be at the Dallas Mavs. And then of course, all of our operational effectiveness kinds of things, there's a way we do business and there's a culture that we will have. 
And we, we, I did personal training on inclusive behaviors, what that looks like, what it looks like in meetings, how it operates day to day. I mean, just try to help, you know, you, you have to go like real deep because some people, especially like in your place in the army, you're getting like such young people. I mean, you got to go deep. I, I know you do where you just have to give examples yeah, and talk to people. Right. And so we did that. Well, it sounds like to me what you're really, uh, another piece of what you're talking about is trust, which is our non-negotiable. Non That's what we'd, we build, the foundation of all our leadership and everything we're doing is, is about that. And so it sounds exactly like where we're going on that, the, the trust piece of that. And, uh, and then, you know, when we talk about um, assessment of where you want to be in five years, we have a thing called Project Athena. Uh, which which actually starts from when you come in as a as a uh, soldier all the way through when you gra go to be a general, we as we help you assess where you are on your leadership traits, how you can build, where your blind spots are, and how you're coming back to, and then we give you uh, uh, access to counselors and and mentors and things like that that can help you do this. So we're we're invested in the leadership business. Yeah, which which it sounds exactly like you are. Everyone's a leader. Everyone's a safety officer. We say that routinely uh, in the army as well. So I, I think the army rubbed off on you a little bit. I think it did because <laughs> I love two of the words that you mentioned. Uh, invest, because it is an investment in your people. Uh, you spend time. You invest in them. Uh, we have something where I call it all in leadership, and one of the ends, if you will, is leading with intent and being very intentional about how you invest uh, in your people. And so we looked at our organizational infrastructure. We looked at what kind of training uh, people needed, what kind of uh, staffing uh, they needed, our whole inclusion and diversity strategy, uh, all of the assessments uh, that you talked about, providing coaches uh, to people, uh, executive coaches, leadership coaches, uh, workplace coaches. I mean, giving them the things that they uh, needed, the professional counselors, uh, just to help them uh, in the workplace. It is truly an investment and, and leaders have to have to make that investment. And yes, you have to spend money to do it, but it's, you know, pay me now, pay me later. Because if you don't, exactly. you're going to have bad, work, you have bad workplace culture, you're going to be playing lawyers, you're going to be doing all kinds of stuff. And right. then we also, yeah, you know what? And we invested in our employee resource groups too, because we wanted to have you know, these affinity groups with allies. I mean, so there are people in these groups that don't look like the people in the groups just to have a way to help all of us understand different cultures. And, and that actually worked out well for us when some of the um, uh, social injustice issues came uh, to light a couple of years ago. We had these groups already in place uh, where we could have these courageous conversations uh, and all that. And the trust had been built where we people were comfortable. So that's the other word you use, trust. We have a, a pyramid uh, that we always point to that really kind of summarizes our business plan, our vision, our values, what are the strategic focus areas for the year, et cetera. And so one side of that pyramid uh, talks about return on investment and how that is critical to our success. And then uh, there's the piece that, uh, uh, there's the bottom piece of it. So the literally on the base, it says trust accelerates our success. So yeah, we can talk about what's important to our success, what will drive our success, but trust is what truly accelerates our success. So we got all of our people to book uh, the speed of trust. 
by Stephen M. R. Covey. Don't you love that book? I do. And I love it because, okay, you can tell me why you love it too. I love it because it gives such practical examples of what happens when you don't have trust in the workplace and how you're just recycling things and people are reading stuff in the emails that I mean, and you're just like wasting all this time. But then if you do have trust, you don't have to second guess motives and all that decisions are made just like that. So we gave all of our people that book so they could really understand what we mean by trust and why it actually is as a, from a practical standpoint, really matters. Well, I actually had my uh, brigade read that before we deployed to the surge in Iraq. Oh, wow. And, and you know, it, it, it takes the piece of time, right? Time spent together and, and how it is that you, you can develop good habits and, and be faster than your adversary, your enemy, your, you know, whatever you want to call it in the, in the civilian world. You can, you can actually uh, move faster and make quicker decisions and better decisions by, by understanding the, the ability that, that trust provides you. And so, that is so true. Yeah. That's so true. So true. It's a strategic element. Yes. It really is. Yeah, I agree. And it with sounds that. it sounds basic, but a lot of times it's not it's not present in in a workplace or on a team, and then you're taking too long, and and in, and in your case, it can be deadly. Okay. Be uh, around trust is mission command. That that's our that's our actually command and control philosophy, right? So you left you establish left and right li- limits. You develop uh, a vision. You develop lines of effort, and then you execute based on the, the right and left limits that you've done them. The commander's intent, you said to be intentional, so the commander's intent on what we look at the end state of the mission to be, and that's how we fight the whole fight. That's what makes us different than any other army in the world. That's what makes us you know, much more different than what's going on in the Ukraine or anything else, is that, is that ability for our non-commissioned officers to look at that and see it as well. So the words are the same. I mean, it's really um, uh, successful organizations like yours and ours truly uh, go on these principles, first principles, as it were. Yes, and they they are principles. And you know what? You made me think of something when you were talking, too, is that when the trust is not there, our people know it. They know when the leaders don't trust each other. They know when there are problems there. And then they get sucked up in all that, too. And then you're just not getting things done. So it is so important to just be able to to move quickly is to have everybody on the same page and, and the leaders trusting each other because that just trickles on down. I'm, I'm really big on the notion of shadow of the leader. Whatever shadow that leader is casting is going throughout the entire organization. And we need to cast a good one and a trusting one uh, for our people in a model. Absolutely. So I have a question for General Funk. Um, being just the nature of our uh, organization, we have leaders that come and go just because they mm-hmm. have different assignments. Like yourself, you'll transition out. So when you have this culture, how do you ensure that the next leader creates that positive shadow that continues the mission forward? Um, maybe with some different changes based on their leadership philosophy, but how do you make sure that the foundation doesn't doesn't crack when you hand it over? Well, um, I kind of go with Funk's fundamental number 40 there, Sarah, on that one, to tell you the truth. Leave your jersey in a better place every day. So if you do that, you develop, it's really more how effective your organization is after you leave than than when you're there. 
because when you're there you can you can really drive the organization but it's the legacy you leave and how do you do that through development of people of character it's in the investment in the people right so they'll understand uh, what's got to be what's got to happen right and then they look to the next uh, the next uh, leader and build trust there but that those things are all um, that's the only way you can do it is build a build an organization that is resilient determined based on values and based on uh, intent as since said the intention to you know support fight and win our nation's wars okay so that if we're re reflecting that then we're going to be okay absolutely and you know what it's and you're right i mean it, it, it's in the dna yeah. i mean it is truly in the dna and when you have new leaders coming you know people taking over leadership different positions if they're already in the organization they know they could check first of all they wouldn't be elevated and they wouldn't get the new position if they didn't already model those values and practice trust and all that, because that's just, that's part of the promotion criteria. But if they're new, like from the outside or something like that, uh, the folks will let them know real quick what we're about here. And so that's why the onboarding process is so important too. Uh, and even when people get promoted internally and all that, there's still the onboarding process to that actual new level. Uh, because, you know, as you get into these new levels, you know, you have to look at things differently. The responsibilities are differently. The responsibilities are different and all that. Uh, so that onboarding process is key. And to make sure those values and those expectations and those principles are built in that process. And then you have that dialogue about, okay, now here's what it looks at. Here's, here's what it looks like and how we practice it kind of at this level. Well, and the onboarding, I... I can't thank you enough for bringing up onboarding. It's so important. How you, how people are received by your organization matters, and we're working really hard to do that. Right? Your first, your first experience in the army should be, uh, literally, should be a positive experience. So we've changed the entire way people are welcomed. We used to have some, a thing called the shark attack. And, and, and frankly, it was from the movies and, and, it, and it took a lot of lore and things like that. And it was not, it was, it was breaking trust. So a recruiter would convince you to come serve and, <laughs> and then some raving lunatic would get a hold of you. And, and before you knew it, you know, you were broken down. That's not the army we want to be part of. And that, you know, that's how they might have had to do it when we had a draft. But these, these young men and women are all volunteers. They're the, if you truly believe that they are the absolute um, uh, treasure of the nation, you know, it's sons and daughters, if you truly believe that, then you want to build them up. You want them to trust their leaders from the start. You want them to develop good habits and good culture and come into their leaders when they have issues and problems so that they can help them through it. That's how we got to attack some of these things. Exactly. You don't want to. I, I just love that. And I love that the approach was changed because you want to nurture, nurture people's spirits. You, 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 don't, you don't want to break your spirit. And I'll tell you a real quick story. All of my children are adopted. So they're all adopted out of uh, foster care. They're, they had a band. They all have their own abandoned abuse, neglect story. And so one of my daughters was uh, born in San Francisco General Hospital uh, and left, left. I mean, born to a, uh, a heroin addict, uh, uh, prostitute mother, and she was left in the hospital. Two pounds, I mean, just a fighter though. They did not expect her to live, she did. And she's a fighter, truly a fighter. And when we met her, she was two years old and she was an angry 
little girl, but she was a fighter. She's a survivor. She had gone through a lot. And I remember a coworker telling me one time, because my daughter was, I mean, I already had a son and she was throwing stuff at him. I mean, she just, you know, tough girl, mean little girl. And I remember a coworker telling me one time, she said, Sent, you guys are going to have to tame that spirit with a lot of nurturing and love, not kill it. And I was, and I'll never forget that because now I also apply that to the workplace. We have all kinds of people who come to work for us. They bring all kinds of stuff with them, all kinds of approaches, personalities, things they've seen that they think work, maybe they don't work. And so as leaders, we kind of culture and nurture that spirit. And yes, sometimes we have to get that spirit tamed and kind of under control, but we don't take the shark approach to try to kill it because you want that. You want, you want all that feistiness, but you want them to trust you too as you're trying to help them do it the way it needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely. And so... I could, I, again, I like, I love that story. I might have to use that again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget when she told me that because we were getting kind of frustrated. I think, I, and I think the things I was telling her we were doing, we were actually kind of killing my daughter's spirit. Like early on, we had just adopted the girl. And she was letting me know that might not be the best thing because at the end of the day, it's like you want that spirit. You want that fighting spirit. And and you want that person to take it on. Sometimes there's just an appropriate way to do it. And, and you don't want, you have to kind of help them not be destructive. Yeah, there and you so, go. And it's the same That's way right. with the employees. That's exactly right. It sounds, it sounds a lot like how um, our new recruits, their first um, experience with the Army is, this is my squad. We really yes. try to get That's connected right. with our individuals exactly. because we want them to bring their diversity and their yes. is what makes our army so unique and so successful. So we've got to be able to pull that out of them through the this is my squad, getting Correct. to know them, having those conversations right. and yeah. being able to shift them through our talent management into somewhere where their energy could be uh, more positive and effective for the team in the long run. Exactly. So yeah, I think and that's... Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So we do actually have a question from the audience. So Miss um, Marshall, we're going to start with you. And then I also want to um, kind of throw this at you, General Funk, as well, from the Army perspective. So they want to know what some of the best practices for measuring success would be um, in terms of uh, transformational organ uh, cultures. And then how do you ensure that things like diversity and inclusion stay a priority? Because longevity and cultural change, because it is so big, can be a little bit of a question. So how do you measure that and keep it going? Okay, so so let me take let, let me take the first question. So I, I ooh, I'm loving these questions. Okay, so so we 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 make sure that um, we measure uh, our culture, and so we have uh, our own culture survey uh, that we do uh, a few times a year, uh, and we have to do a little bit more. We have to do more pulse surveys kind of uh, during COVID where we would just send a question out and take a pulse on a particular thing. And then we did some pulse surveys when we had uh, some of the, the, the social uh, justice issues going on, just to kind of see where people are and how they're feeling about uh, things kind of in life and in our workplace. So, so we actually measure it. So the MBA also has uh, a culture survey as well. So we take all of those data points. And so it has a series of questions uh, and it covers just the, the, the gamut around culture, around uh, how you work with people. I mean, just everything you can think of in the organization. And then it also has a section for verbatim comments, which, and they know it's all anonymous. And I love 
going through the very Bradham comments. Now we have some of the top cultural survey results in the MBA, and we just won the MBA's Inclusion Leadership Award again for the second time. But I go right to the comments because, because I want to know what's missing. Is there a gap? Uh, what else should we be doing uh, to serve people? So I kind of just jump right to the opportunity areas. And yeah, look at the strengths because I want to make sure we continue uh, whatever's in place that we continue that and we take it to the next level. But then I go right to the opportunity. So we are actually very diligent about measuring it through our uh, formal surveys and then our uh, pulse surveys. And then of course our employees, our, our folks have one-on-ones and uh, with the employees. And then we also have our six employee resource groups and a MAVS inclusion council uh, of about 30 people. And so all those things help us actually uh, measure uh, how we're doing so that we can take some very positive action. In order to, uh, and then we of course have uh, an anonymous hotline because we said, you know what, if all else fails and you just don't feel comfortable for whatever reason raising it, call the hotline. And then we'll take those hotlines. Uh, you know, obviously you deal with it right then, but then we take we stop a few times a year to say, okay, what kind of calls have been coming in? I mean, if, if calls have been coming in. I mean, we've had times like now where no calls are coming in. But if calls are coming in, then we'll look at, okay, how, how much are we hearing that? And then we'll start to test it internally. Okay, so in terms of sustainability, the way we have our values that spell crafts, but our diversity, equity, and inclusion agenda also spells crafts. And so we look at customers. So we have, and we have objectives and strategic action items around all of these areas. Uh, and, and that's one thing I always like to, you know, to advise people is to have an expressed agenda around culture and expressed agenda around inclusion. So it's about, it's customers, reputation. We want to have a reputation for being a great place to work. Our leadership promise is every voice matters and everybody belongs. And so we want people to feel that. So we want to have a reputation because we want to win the war for talent. The A is for agenda for women. In our case, we had to have an express agenda for how we would educate, empower, elevate uh, women. Uh, so then the uh, F is family, and that includes home, work, and community. That we are MAPS fans and family for life. How do we bring all of that together? Integration is important to us. And then the T is for talent. We want to have representation. We want our workforce to reflect our communities at every single level, even including around my table. Uh, when I first got to the Mavs, there were no women or people of color in leadership positions. And now we have 50% women, 50% people of color, just fabulous qualified people, all of us uh, working together, which I think uh, our results, I think that has a lot to do with our results. Uh, so our talent and how are we elevating people, professional development, all that. So we have uh, metrics around that and then suppliers uh, and sponsors. And, and when you look at even like on the community police, our philanthropic dollars. I mean, we have some objectives around the actual goals that we have or how we're serving uh, underrepresented communities. So when you look at that customer reputation, agenda for women, family, uh, talents, suppliers and sponsors, that crafts DNI agenda, we have specific measurements around that. And every year in our business plan, we revisit that and take it even further. So we have a big business planning meeting. We're in our business planning cycle right now. We have a big meeting coming up with the whole organization on August 10th. They will hear all about it because they they're providing input right now what that new kind of crafts DNI agenda 
uh, looks like. So we keep it, we keep it in the DNA and we have it in the DNA. We keep it in front of people and our employee resource groups really, really help to drive it along with the MAVS Inclusion Council. It's just a part of who we are now. It's not, it's not a program. And that's usually my advice. You can't have a DNI program. It has to be in your DNA. I, I, it's so remarkably similar to what, what we're doing. It's, it's, I, I mean, it's kind of eerie. It really is, which is neat. Because uh, successful organizations kind of model each other too, which is very important. I think, uh, for example, we have a women's initiatives group that has changed the culture in our in our in the army, and I'm so proud of them. They've done a remarkable work. And a shout out to led by the fabulous Maria Gervais and uh, Susan uh, Anthony and and Michelle Donahue and Jen Bales and just an incredible little team of people that have made. Uh, an inordinate amount of change in our organization for the better. Uh, and then you take on, you, know, you, you would talk about a campaign plan. You talked about a business plan. I'm talking about a campaign plan. That's how you maintain these things. You have a place to where you're going. You have an, an, end, an end strength goal or an end state goal that says, we want to be a better organization. We want to, we want to have the vision to be the, the uh, station of choice, for example. We want, TRADOC, we want people to be inspired to serve in TRADOC. We want people to understand that what they do matter. It matters to the nation. It matters to the world for that matter. And, and so that's how you build that in. As, as Sid said, it's about the DNA of the organization, right? It, you're gonna, you're, our strength is our diversity. It always has been that the, the Army has changed, led in social change and culture for, forever. forever. And, and so why would we change that when it's worked so successfully? You know, and so I, I think, you know, when you, when you get the opportunity to lead America's sons and daughters, to, to, to actually help them achieve success along the way, to be part, whether they stay three years or, or like a broken down old cavalryman like me and 38 <laughs> years later, you know, when, but when, when, you get, when you get to put on the cloth of our nation and see it and feel it and understand that it, it, it is trusted around the world, because it is, it, it's so diverse, it's so inclusive, it is so strong and mighty, it's so powerful. I, I get, I, I, I'm a little sappy when it comes to that. I get uh, pretty excited about talking about our great army. But how do you, how do you build that through, through organizations that, they're not programs, they're part of the DNA, just like uh, Sint said, she's, she's exactly right. It's a model, the army is a model. And, and I actually refer to the army all the time. It is a model. I mean, you take all of these people, you meet them where they are. They all look different. Okay. They truly all look different. And before you know it, they're all on the same page, family, looking out for each other, trusting each other and defending us. And they don't even know us. Right. Okay. Now, now that's a model. That is the model. And so, and I actually use that as an example a lot. And in fact, my kids grew up and, and they, they still do it. And I love it. And they're 24, 27, 30, and 39. And they still do it because I always have them stop wherever they are. And ever since, you know, I met the little honeys when they were adopted, I have them honor and stop and thank our service people. Well, and so you see people that get on the plane, they stop and say, thank you. But, and, and part of what I told them is, yeah, yeah, they, they save us, they keep us so we can walk around free and all that stuff. 
but they're literally defending you and they love you and they don't even know you. Yeah, that's right. Well, like that's heavy. So this guy behind me, if you can see this placard behind me here, I don't know if you can see his face. I may be blocking it. <laughs> but the guy behind me there, right up above me, is Dave Bellabia. And Dave's a Medal of Honor recipient uh, from the Second Battle of Fallujah. And when people, when people come up to him and say, um, thank you for your service, he looks him right back in the eye. And you may have met David up there many times, but uh, he hangs out in the Dallas area quite a bit. Uh, but Dave will look him right back in the eye and say, you're worth it. Frankly, the American people are worth it. <laughs> Uh, you know, so, and, and so I stole that from him. I use that all the time now. I love it uh, because it is, it's true. And it, it's true. It's what we do. And so, uh, you know, that's, that, that to me is a, that's, that, that might even become a, a fundamental. We'll see after I'm done here. I love that. But that's why the Army is such a good model. And, and that's how you, you want, as a leader, you want your employees to be. You want them to just be able to work together. You, you want to have the onboarding process and everything set up and the right leaders in place to where before you know it, all of these different people who have walked through the door, who don't know each other, who look very different, who come from very different backgrounds, are all bought in and they're looking out for each other and they know what the mission is and they're going to win. They know how to measure it. They know what to do. I mean, that's, that's the Army. And so we all aspire to have that kind of culture where we can bring these different people together. Number one, to have different people because it's just so natural and fundamental for the Army. Uh, some of the rest of us have to go out and figure out because we haven't been doing it as long as the Army. So how do we break out of this space where we thought this was only for a certain group of people and welcome all of these other people in like you have done forever? And so, and for some places it's a struggle. And so we have kind of figured that out. How do we bring in all of these different people and get them rallied around a mission with trust as uh, the base? And it is truly just in, it's in our culture now, which is the, the hardest thing was actually kind of instilling this new culture, this, this kind of army-like culture, instilling this new culture, but purging one that was different. And because you still have, you know, pockets or, you know, people resisting change or whatever. But we've been able to work through that. We have to do the same thing. I mean, you know, the getting rid of the shark attack was not easy. And, it, it, you know, we have pockets of people who believe they know better and who believe that. And so, you know, it becomes a consistent. That's the uh, that's the great thing about what you're saying on your value crafts, because it's got to be a consistent, a repeatable message that you truly believe in that allows the organization to to model itself because they understand where they're going left and right vision etc that it's exactly. really dynamite exactly and it requires what i call all in leadership in fact once once we uh kind of you know put our new values up on the wall and we did some you know just physical um uh really transformation of our even our workspace because the people were kind of working in silos and all these cubicles and all that we left the building and then we all came out everything was unveiled on the walls and all that and we walked back in and we dipped our hand in paint and we put our handprints up on this wall that's still in our organ you know still in the workplace that basically said we're all in and we're going to have all in leadership and it stands for leading with 
intent. I talked about that earlier, being very intentional about who we are and what we're trying to accomplish, leading with insight, like really getting to understand each other, getting to understand, you know, differences, differences between diversity and inclusion and equity and equality and really getting insight into what this is all about and what are we trying to do here, uh, leading with inclusion to make sure it's not just about diversity, but it's about uh, inclusion. I always say that, you know, diversity, and you've probably heard that before, diversity is about, you know, the 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 the, in, the, the ingredients. It's about the mix. Uh, but inclusion about what is about what you do with that mix. It, diversity is about counting the numbers. Inclusion is about making the numbers count. And then my favorite is diversity is, invite, is being invited to the party, but inclusion is being asked to dance. You can invite me to the party as the only woman or the only black person or whatever, but how do you make me feel when I'm at that table? Do you teach me the different moves? Do you teach me the rules of the road so I can participate? Because this is new to me. I've never been here before. And then do you go so far as to even accept like the dance moves that I might bring? You don't just invite me to the party and leave me on the sideline or just have me sitting at that table, but I need to be able to participate and be included. And so you have to lead with inclusion. You have to be very you know, intentional, if you will, about making sure you're not just focused on diversity, but equity and inclusion as well, because if you're not including people, you'll lose them. And then the last one, and you mentioned this word earlier, General, and so I had to pick up on it, is leading with inspiration. Re really inspiring people and figuring out how to inspire them and being vulnerable enough to open up yourself as a leader uh, to inspire people and then to make sure that you yourself uh, are staying uh, inspired in whatever way that needs to happen because people respond when they are inspired. Absolutely. They respond that, beautifully when they're inspired. And you mentioned that word earlier. Yeah, that's so true. I, the, the inspiration, we, we, we forget that sometimes, the inspiration part of leadership, right? It, it is an element, leadership's an element of combat power, but, uh, but inspiration is, is what causes combat power to exceed, succeed. So we have to expire, and so in our job, and certainly in TRADOC, where we have the recruiting uh, mission, we have the accessions mission, we're bringing young men and women into our great force. Uh, and we also have the Soldier for Life piece, which is uh, taking those great folks who have served, and uh, you may remember I brought some Soldier for Life pins and things like when, when it came to, to your organization. Yeah. And where we recognize that service to the nation matters and, and thank folks not only for their service, but re remind them that they're always part of our organization. They have a home, they have family, they have a need, if they need help, we're there to help them. That's so powerful. And, and that, that too is an inspiration. And mom and dad America need to understand that, that these young men and women that we Bring out, once they're in our organization, they become, they're with us for life now. And we, we, will, we will find ways to help them. I've seen it firsthand, yeah. especially with my brothers. I've yeah. seen it firsthand. Like you never abandon them, no matter what, no matter what they go through. They know they, they always have that fallback. They always have uh, that family, which is how I always know, you know, they'll always be okay. You have to, and they were inspired from the beginning. Yeah. From the beginning. See, and so that's inspiration what, really matters. Yes, and that's what makes us, uh, that's what makes us so doggone successful. Yeah, absolutely. We've been living with people at the center of our culture now. We've just changed the way that we communicate how the people are at the yes, center of our culture. And right, I think Sarah. that's a huge, yes. I think that's a huge thing that we've touched on all day today. Yeah, is, I mean, the Army is people. 
I mean, there's all kinds of equipment and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, but the Army's people. And it, 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 it's the, the world's last great meritocracy, right? It really is. It, it really is. And so, and, you know, and that's why we want to associate with world-class world -class organizations that, that have the same values as we do, which is yeah. why we brought Sint in. And, and, and she was so gracious to him that we've canceled and changed it all. She was so gracious to, to hold this time for us and do this for us. I, I, I can't thank you enough. Of course, I have to pick up on that because you know I agree with that. You and I talked about it in Dallas. People matter and that's all that matters. Uh, at the end of the day, I know Teddy Roosevelt has a quote, or it's at least attributed to Teddy Roosevelt, uh, that says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And yes, that's one, and that's my favorite quote, because it really is about caring about people. Uh, if you don't care about them, you can't lead them. My you, favorite you one from, them, you can't lead them. My favorite one from Teddy Roosevelt's The Man in the Arena. When, yeah, that's a good one. You've probably seen it. You had seen it, you know. I'm sure you, you've seen it, you know, uh, he talks about it's not the credit, it's not, not the critic who counts, but the man or woman who's actually in the arena, who's marred by dust and blood and comes out, uh, fails, but time and time again triumphs over high achievement, right? Yeah. Really neat, oh, very that. powerful. <laughs> oh, I love that. I got to get that in one of my commencement speeches. <laughs> I use that I one a lot. But that but people are inspired by the people are inspired by those kind of quotes. People are inspired by stories, things that they can actually uh, hang on to. And I, I'm absolutely before we hang up. So you gotta give me like two minutes before we hang up so I can tell you how I inspired our team around character. And it's a story that they talk about all the time. Um and so you let me know when we get to the end, because that's that's all right. I'm gonna tell you the story. I think we got time for one more question, then we'll do the summary. That, 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 so that'll be ready. We have. I love. It. I'll be ready. We are here for you, Miss Marshall, and your story. So <laughs> share away. Again, we could go for four or five more hours. <laughs> okay. So you you want me to do it now, or you yes, ma'am. You yeah, can go share ahead. your story. Okay. So when I talked to my team about crafts and let them know, and that character was not just because it was the sea, but it truly was the most important out of all of them. I gave them a story about. Uh, that, that resonated with me around character and integrity. So we adopted my son, who is 30 now, but we adopted him at two and a half years old. Uh, just pitiful little story. But we adopted him at two and a half. When he was about three and a half years old, four years old, he was in day, uh, pre, uh, preschool, and they had a baby picture contest. And so we didn't have any baby pictures, of course, of my son, because when we met him, he's two and a half years old, and all we had is this one picture of him. He actually, you could tell from looking at the picture, uh, that he had been through a lot. And so I told my husband, well, that's just, he's going to have to take that picture or a current picture. And so we're, I'm in the house and I'm getting ready, uh, you know, dinner and all that. And I look at my husband is practicing with my son uh, because, you know, they're going to make this presentation on his baby picture. And it's actually a baby picture, but it's not a picture of my son. And so I told my husband, I said, what are you doing? I said, that's not him. He goes, I know. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, my husband's nephew, our nephew, Jalen. He says, but he, we're just going to, he's just going to act like it's his picture. Well, first of all, they're not even like the same complexion. So I don't even know how you think you're going to get away with this. But they had this whole story mapped out. My husband and my son are sitting here with this whole story mapped out about this baby picture. And it's not my son. And the story is not my son's uh, story. 
But my husband said, you know, when we adopted this boy, he had been through a lot. And my job as his dad is to give him self-esteem and confidence and make sure that, you know, he doesn't have any embarrassing situations. And there was this whole stigma around adoption. And so we're going with this. So we went back and forth. I lost. I went off to work to San Francisco the next day. I come home and the trophy from the baby picture contest is on my kitchen table. <laughs> and I mean, it's huge. It's as big as the kid, right? And I'm sick. My husband is reared back. He's all happy because, you know, his job as the daddy is to give him self-esteem. My, my son is smiling. He's thrilled. And so he goes, and, and, and I'm shaking because I know the whole thing is a sham, right? And so my son said, mommy, mommy, I won the trophy. I won the baby picture contest. Let me, do you want to know what happened? And I actually kind of did not want to know what happened, but he told me anyway. He goes, mommy, I got up and my husband is cheesing because he hadn't heard the story. He said, I got up and I held up the picture. Now, my son's name is Kenneth Anthony. My nephew's name is Jalen. He said, I got up, I held up the picture and I said, hi, everybody. This is my cousin Jalen. He said, I don't have a baby picture because I was born in the bathtub and then my mother left me when I was nine months old when my brother and the police came. And so he's telling his whole little story as he knew it at, at you know, three and a half, four years old. He said, so I have a lot of cousins. I have like a bajillion cousins and this is one of my cousins. He said, mommy, everybody started crying and they just gave me the trophy. <laughs> So here, so here, here, here's the here's the moral to the story around character. At three and a half or four years old, because he was somewhere in there, with his parents' permission to lie, the most important authoritative people in his life, and not only did he have permission, like he had help writing the story. Okay, at three and a half, four years old, with his parents' permission to lie, the boy got up and told the truth. Why did he do that? Because at three and a half, four years old, it is in us to tell the truth. Yeah. Character is in us. Integrity is in us. And it's hard for people to even try to get us to do anything different. We have to stay that way. So that is how I talk to my team about character. And we say that even right now. You know what? We better act like we're three and a half or four years old. <laughs> we, need to tell, we need to tell the truth. So oh, that's my character story. That was beautiful. That, that was a wonderful story. You did mention that we needed to come back to the sea and the character piece because you had some just great insight. And I think that's yeah. a fantastic way to unfortunately wrap up our, our discussion. But um, Ms. Marshall, we cannot thank you enough for taking time to join us and share your insights on organizational transformation um, and just all the beautiful things that you've done for the Mavericks. So is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up today? Well, it's my honor, and I just wanted to say thank you. I mean, thank you to all of the uh, men and women and just everybody who is out there, all genders reflected. Uh, thank you for what you do every day uh, to serve us and to uh, have it so that I can just get up in the morning, leave my house, come back home, sit in this chair. No bomb is on my house. Nobody's out there doing anything crazy, and I am well aware every single day that the way I live my life is absolutely a result of what you do for me every single day. So thank you. I am honored to have spent this time today. Thank, we Again, I can thank you all the, all the time, but thank you so much for being here today. I know you're very busy, but thank you again. Uh, General Funk, is there anything you'd like to share oh, before, well, before we wrap uh, up? Well, I got all misty-eyed there, Sent. Thanks for that. You know, I, uh, 
I'm a pretty soft uh, soul anyway, but I, I got to tell you, um, well, you spending this time with us today, and this will, will be my last official one. I, Sarah and I may be doing, we're doing the Defense Warrior Games uh, in a couple of weeks where our Wounded Warriors come together from all the services. It's going to be down at uh, Disney World and watching them uh, overcome, um, overcome the obstacles in front of them and actually achieve uh, greatness in sport, but more, more importantly, healing of spirit and soul is so going to be so powerful. But I can't think of a better way to end my time in this, in this leader development program than with you and what you've done and how you lead and how you show us what right looks like in the professional sports, where the money, you know, money is out there all over the place and it can be, have all kinds of you know, uh, bad effects where you have taken an organization, turned it, made it very successful in the playoffs this year. I was watching. And uh, uh, just through your own personal, personal inspiration, I just can't thank you enough. Uh, and as Dave would say, by golly, you're worth it. Thank you, Mary. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. I love you. You know I do. You know I love you. <laughs> Come back to Dallas and visit. I can't, can't wait. wait. Got a granddaughter right there. I'll be there shortly. I can't wait. I'll be waiting for you. All Thank right. you. Oh, yeah. Thanks again. What a fantastic way to wrap up General Funk's final final LPD with us, sir. It's going to be um, really tough not having you sitting next to me sharing your uh, commanding general insight from, from such a great place of leadership that you are. So thank you for providing all of the insight and um, just great coordination and just sharing everything that you have and your expertise to this profession. So thank you for sharing that with us. But um, transforming an organization, whether it be professional sports uh, team or even a military enterprise like TRADOC, uh, it requires support from those within the organization itself to be successful. Buy-in comes from the leaders who demonstrate through their own actions the effectiveness and the desired outcome the transformation will have on the organization. By keeping the foundation of the organization, which are the people, at the center of the process, an organization can ensure the changes being implemented are adopted and withheld with enthusiasm. The Army continues to reform and improve every element of the force with people at the forefront of every change. Adapting to be the profession of choice for those currently serving and who will serve us in the future is so important. And I want to, uh, in just three short days on July 28th, we'll be back here for our next LPD with a special panel to discuss um, their Army stories and how their services impacted their lives. And Command Sar Sergeant Major Dan Hendricks will be the host of that one. So I hope you all join us here at 11 a.m. Eastern, uh, same time, same place. And as always, thank you for joining us. And victory starts here. Right here. <laughs>